1: Welcome to this replay of Ask NT Write Anything, where we go back into the archives to bring you the best of the thought and theology of Tom Wright, answering questions submitted by you, the listener. You can find more episodes as well as many more resources for exploring faith at PremierUnbelievable.com, and registering there will unlock access through the newsletter to updates, free bonus videos, and ebooks. That's PremierUnbelievable.com. And now, for today's replay, of ask and write anything great to have Tom Wright with me again for another edition of the podcast and uh, today we're tackling your questions on politics on things like abortion race even critical theory some hot button issues that we're going to be looking at today uh, that have come in. Um, And, um, I mean, politics in general, Tom, are you an avid follower of what's going on in the political world? Uh, Up to a
2: certain point, one gets a bit tired with certain things. I mean, we have over the last few years been dealing with this brexit thing and i think like a lot of people i got to the point where i just (laughs) didn't want to hear another news item about brexit and i think in a sense what happened in britain was that the whole country just said oh we're so tired of this just do it and get on with it it." yeah i Um, think that was
1: genuinely partly um, what caused the the The, partly behind that that huge swing towards the tories well people just wanted to get uh, it
2: and it was interesting because that functioned as the second referendum that a lot of people were asking for because a lot of Places where the Labour Party got in, actually if you add the Conservative vote and the Brexit Party vote, that would have yep, would have won. And um, yeah. which means that not only did they have the sizable majority, eighty or so seats, mm. but there were another forty or so seats could have gone their way. where the majority yeah. of people voted for Brexit. Yeah, yeah. Which was extraordinary. And Uh, You know, a lot of us are still kind of living with the fallout, and what on earth does that mean? How's Mm. it going to work out? And does anybody know? Um, Life is not dull politically (laughs) in Britain at the moment. I think the the part of the problem becomes that people treat it like watching a football match, you know, and yeah, it's rather fun uh, slugging out, and is our team going to win? The drama. But actually, these are major, serious Mm, issues mm, which affect mm. the life and the livelihoods uh, and the security of millions of people. And i would like to see some of the people who are really in strong positions of leadership being more obviously seen to be taking that fact very very seriously i know there are many people in politics who do but so that yes it's it's fascinating um and it's all to do with power that 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 power is one of those things like beauty and justice and so on which we all know it matters but we all find it difficult Mm. and i think um for many of us growing up in western democracies we kind of assumed that our system is 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 fine and that other people have silly systems and and Mm. we're glad we don't live Mm. there and then when our system throws up something that we don't like oh dear (laughs) um what just went wrong yeah um and that Mm. itself is a very interesting question which many wise christians have addressed but not a lot of people in the churches
1: know how to address Mm. well there are obviously differences between the the u k and the u s sure. system, but also some similarities and, and I can see a lot of sure uh, yeah um, commonalities between what we 've been going through in this part of the world and what uh, oh, the, yes. the Trump phenomenon has thrown up as well in in the u s but um here 's someone uh, who 's writing in from a sort of a neutral position i suppose in canada mm. uh daryl asks um hi justin tom love the podcast in both the us and canada we are ramping up to elections there's always a certain demographic within the church that want to influence the government at one level i totally understand at another level i find myself nervous when people start talking about how we need more christians in government with a spoken or unspoken agenda of having a government serve a particular view of a christian agenda on the other hand people like michael frost alan hirsch from australia rick mckinley from the u.s and others have been writing a lot about how we can learn from the hebrew exile experience in short our role is to be faithful and obedient to the life god has called us to and not necessarily to change a particular government could tom please offer (laughs) some comment on this thanks Darrell. wow
2: another great question we often have great questions on this podcast and this one deserves a whole book um and 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 indeed such books exist yes Um, not by me but by (laughs) by other wise people um who've who've actually studied this in more detail than i have um if one says no we don't need more christians in government what is one saying that actually Mm. you'd be content for the government to be run by atheists um i i would always rather have people in positions of power and responsibility who were saying their prayers who were worshiping god the creator and redeemer um, who were reading the bible who were praying for god's wisdom to guide them and their country Um, and that doesn't mean that i have a set of 25 particular christian issues Mm. that i'd want them to be pushing although there may be some cases where there are some things which which could and should be done i mean a generation ago in britain we had big debates about whether sunday should be kept as a special day or not mm-hmm. and there were some from a very strong right-wing position who i think just wanted to have sundays like they always remembered it when they were growing up and others who were saying look hardly anyone goes to church anymore why shouldn't we play sport mm-hmm. on sundays but actually there were some serious issues underneath all that about the um the, the employment situation of people who would be forced to work right through a weekend mm-hmm. and so on and so forth um, and th- those didn't really surface because the debate was too polarized between the libertarians although yes. actually it was big businesses driving mm. it and, and the kind of almost backward looking yes. more fundamentalist types and, and that's that's a real problem but the idea that we don't want christians in government would really be scary mm. um, and it seems to be perfectly possible that from time to time there will be some governments in some countries that really are more in tune with things that are with things that god wants to do in the world i mean think of the early 19th century and the campaign to abolish slavery and that was really hard but eventually um, the people were campaigning and they got the thing through in a way which was by no means a foregone conclusion and if you'd said no 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 we're christians we should stay out of that then it would still be carrying on. I mean, the French Revolution is believed in Liberté, Egalité and Fraternité, but they certainly weren't abolishing slavery. Mm. There's a lot Mm. of things which the great Enlightenment movements were just not dealing with, and it was left to Christians to say, no, something's going on here. Mm. And so we, we need to do that. And the question of the exile experience this tends to be the reaction when people see um, the wickedness of a particular government and say well we just have to be the community in exile we have to say Mm -hmm. our prayers and Mm -hmm. try and shine a light I think of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer under Mm -hmm. the third Reich Mm -hmm. Um, you know once Hitler comes to power which was on the back of a big democratic Mm -hmm. vote Mm -hmm. um, he he was voted in by a large majority then the uh, confessing church just had to say all we can do at the moment is to say our prayers and to teach and to pray and to wait. And of course, it was a long tragedy that worked mm. itself out. Um, and so it seems to me there is no one size fits all here. It's got to be a matter of discernment of wisdom in particular situations. And then there are different biblical models which will fit at different times. People have often said, well, you've got Romans 13, well, Paul says that Um, the powers that be are ordained by god and you've got revelation 13 where Mm -hmm. it seems that the powers that be have gone all demonic Mm -hmm. and i think paul would say the powers stop being demons when they stop being gods right um that when paul says the powers that be are ordained by god he means that they are not god and then one of the most important principles in all of this is in john 18 and 19 when jesus is arguing with pontius pilate about kingdom and truth and power and in john 19 pilate says to jesus don't you realize that i have the authority to have you killed or released and jesus says you couldn't have that authority over me unless it were given you from above Mm. therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin in other words even jesus Mm. says to caesar's representative that god the father has put caesar in authority over him jesus the result is responsibility mm. and you have to bear that responsibility and, and that's what the early christians mm, were struggling mm, with and i think mm. it answers a lot of the questions actually the early christians like the early jews weren't particularly bothered about how people got to acquire power mm. they were very concerned about what people did with power once they'd got it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and would hold up a mirror to them mm. and a
1: critique to them mm. um, and our modern systems aren't good at doing that I mean, <clears throat> it strikes me that this question very much comes on the heels of what many people are seeing in the u s as Donald Trump appealing to a certain christian base yep, conservative yep. christian base um, and 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 we know that a lot of the you know a lot of his vote came from white evangelicals mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the u s a and a lot of people are seeing this as a sort of well the, the christians happy to uh, support a man who in morally you know is very questionable in various ways uh, as long as he's sort of doing the things they want in terms mm-hmm. of um, abortion law yeah, or yeah, yeah, um, certain yeah. you know ethical issues and so on as long as he and I, I think that's the question has yeah, been yeah, yeah. you know are, are is that the way it works is that yes, the way yes, that yes you know the Christ- christianity goes forward is is on the basis of having a strong man in power who can you know force force well i mean
2: i i think again the trouble is i mean thomas jefferson said 250 years ago that democracy works when you have an educated electorate Mm. and neither in this country nor in america (laughs) nor anywhere else that i know (laughs) do we have a totally educated we have a more educated electorate than used to be the case and especially because we all live in an electronic age where there's actually too much information out there and the fact that we can be so
1: easily manipulated by that that, that's part of
2: the problem that you get information but you also get disinformation. Yes, and the news broadcasters choose who they want to show how and mm. so on, and we kind of know that's going on, but it's hard to get past yeah. it. Um, so, yes, I think there are a lot of people who would class themselves as white evangelicals who are horrified at the way in which "quote white evangelicals" unquote had supported Trump. So, I, as a Brit, can't really get involved in that mm. except to, to, to say I hear voices from several different mm. quarters. Um, some of whom are enthusiasts some of whom are very worried indeed and many of whom are saying no 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 the lines have all been blurred we've got to think more clearly and there have to be better ways forward than this
1: another interesting question here from bob in salem oregon it says um Well, he's a big fan of the the US uh, (laughs) forms of government, as as you'll find out. Republican democracy with tripartite divided government and checks and balances that recognize God-given inalienable human rights is a great system of government. It protects the dignity of human beings made in the image of God. Yet its protections are based on the recognition of mankind's fallen nature. These principles of the image of God in and yet the fallenness of humans come from Genesis. Monarchies throughout history have usually (laughs) oppressed the citizens and violated their god given and rights. So, why weren't the flaws of monarchy as a system of government recognized early in the Old <laughs> Testament and a prescription given there for the protections of a republican democracy such as was established by the <laughs> founders of the US system? Why did it take 4,000 years of fumbling for humans to come up with such a system? God knew it would eventually be figured out. Why didn't he tell Moses about it? <laughs> That's so, a
2: great question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to congratulate Bob. Um, uh, I mean, it's lovely the way he's put it people used to say why did god wait all that time before sending jesus and now he's saying why did god was uh, wait wait all that time before sending washington and jefferson and and all the rest of it and i want to say what's wrong with this question uh, there's something a bit odd about this and indeed i i do know some people uh, i sometimes quote my friend and former colleague ed sanders american new testament scholar who in an autobiographical essay Um, says that he sees the jews of jesus day and jesus and paul as pointing towards uh, a form of human freedom and flourishing Mm -hmm. which he said really came about through john locke and thomas jefferson in in the 18th century and that now it's rather sad because it doesn't seem to be working out quite the way we thought it would and but in other words we have shifted the eschatological focus jesus becomes a forward pointer to the real thing which which is the birth of modern democracy and i want to say um I agree with Vincent Churchill that democracy is the worst possible form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried <laughs> from time to time. Um because I, I agree that absolute monarchy, um and again it's it's Lord Acton, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But there's a difference in monarchy and tyranny, and that's normally mm. been recognised, that monarchy is a working with a community and a giving leadership to a community. Tyranny is simply I'm gonna do this mm. and mm. get out of my way, I'm coming through. And I think what Bob says about monarchy actually spills over into tyranny. Mm. And of course, there are very few monarchies uh, of the absolute sort left in the world today. And most like our monarchy is is a highly negotiated and complex system, which actually, um, in a way is a a tripartite or multipartite divided government. And I suspect that, like a lot of British people, um, I'm not convinced it's perfect, but I can't yet see my way to any other system. And mm. certainly, the idea of getting rid of the monarchy and having a, re- a republic, I look around our politicians and I, I think, which of these people would I like to see <laughs> as my head of state? And the answer is absolutely none of them, thank you very much. Um, and I thank God for the Queen and, and all that she's done. I mean, quite literally, yeah. she's a remarkable lady. Yeah. But um, so. Uh, I, i agree that we have to have a recognition of human beings made in the image of god god but i would put it like this god wants his world to be wisely ordered he wants human beings to reflect his wise ordering into the world and he will hold them responsible for doing that And that's so whether it's Caesar who has come to power by murdering his predecessor, the church still has a responsibility to say to Caesar, do you realize what you're doing? And you are responsible before the creator God for that. Or somebody like Hitler, who was elected, as I said Mm -hmm. before, by a Mm -hmm. massive majority, Mm -hmm. the church still has the responsibility to hold Mm -hmm. up the mirror to power the crucial passage here is in john 16 when jesus says when the spirit comes he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and spells that out what does that mean means that when jesus followers receive the holy spirit they have the responsibility to say to the world you're getting it wrong on sin you're getting it wrong on judgment you're getting it wrong on righteousness um and spell that out and and follow it Mm. through Mm. and because it really doesn't matter in the ancient world as i said before how people come to power they come to power in all sorts of ways sometimes it looks democratic but it's been fiddled behind the backs and who knows the ancient world had its ways of doing what some people say was done at the last election with people interfering electronically but there's always (laughs) manipulation um what matters that the the real problem with democracy is this (laughs) okay this is this is important (laughs) i think i can see the cogs turning the whole thing is important um in the 18th century the the enlightenment savants the thinkers thought they could get the results of the christian worldview without paying the price of allegiance to the christian god and they thought therefore that the if the people became divine vox populi vox dei Mm. the voice of the people is the voice Mm. of god then this would mean that the people will always get it right now we know perfectly well that 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 didn't happen in ancient Mm. athenian democracy it didn't happen in modern german democracy maybe it doesn't happen in modern Mm. british democracy or american who knows only time will tell but the point is our systems then say once we have voted we are deciding to give you four or five years where you can basically follow through your agenda and you can say that you've got a mandate because we voted Mm -hmm. for you that is very very dangerous circumstances Mm -hmm. change policies change the church the followers of jesus always have the responsibility the day after the vote and thereafter to say no yes you were Mm -hmm. voted in we are trusting you to be a good wise leader ruler but that means you must do this and you must not do that and you can't settle back and say okay we voted
1: for you so do what you
2: like that mm-hmm. is an abdication of christian responsibility yeah. and
1: i do sometimes wonder whether <laughs> bob's question almost reminds me of some of my american friends who seem to almost treat the american constitution on the level of a divinely inspired document i, I know, you know i know
2: um, i know but, but but that is that is part of the ideology same in france you know the, the question of are we being loyal to the revolution yes, is yes. still on the table yes. in france
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, NT Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask NT Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. That's premierinsight.org forward slash ntwrite. Thank you. let's go to another um hot topic a specific one um that that
1: often is a a political issue in the usa especially um Mm -hmm. joseph in nashville says abortion is becoming a hot topic again here in the united states is the bible clear on this issue i was raised to believe that it was wrong but a friend said his pastor claimed that being pro-life was another issue that would turn people off from the church i'd love to have the confidence to answer with truth and love when this issue comes up among my friends and colleagues i I think part of the problem is that some pro-life campaigners have actually campaigned
2: violently which has seemed to many a contradiction in terms Mm -hmm. you know the the, the, the horrible tales of doctors being shot outside abortion clinics and so on and it seems to me you you can't defend the life of the unborn by threatening the life of the born um Uh, and unfortunately just as we in britain bundle up various issues and assume that if you vote in a rightwards direction you're going to be okay on all those issues mm. of action, and leftwards direction you've got in the same way in america abortion has become part of a package yes. the people who are um anti-abortion tend to be pro-gun for instance mm. which to many people in the rest of the world seems utterly ridiculous right. um and so we need first to uncouple the issues and then we need to say isn't it interesting that in the first three or four or five centuries just as the ancient greek doctors would take an oath among other things not to procure abortions because abortions were quite frequent in the ancient world and pretty foul for the women involved mm-hmm. but often men would force women to have abortions and by strange um, old-fashioned surgical methods or, or taking particular mm-hmm. me- medicines or whatever In the first three or four or five centuries, as far as we can tell, the early Christians, like the Jews of the day, not only would not do abortions, they wouldn't do infanticide, which was very common Mm. in those days. If you had more children than you actually wanted, you'd literally leave them out for the gypsies or the wolves or whoever. and especially if you'd had one daughter already that's quite enough they're expensive Mm -hmm. and difficult Mm -hmm. so any more girls just get rid of them and the early christians and jews did not do that and there's a sense there of reverence both for the life of the unborn and the life of the recently born which i think we need to go back to and say what were they being obedient to and it was a deep respect for and a reverence for the goodness of god's creation and the strange goodness of human procreation as part of God's command to be fruitful and multiply, and that you don't lightly tamper with that. that doesn't absolutely settle the issue on all possible cases for me Mm. um if i've had to counsel people who have been raped Mm. and uh you know some horrible person has violated them and they're carrying this person's child and they they feel suicidal as a result of it i would want to deal with that extremely sensitively Mm. and it's a really difficult thing likewise if one knew that the child you were carrying was very severely deformed so that this child would maybe live a short but very unhappy life Mm. i can see some arguments Mm. for saying this is much better to do as it were a funeral in advance Mm. and but if that was so i would say then a funeral is appropriate But at at that point, you raise questions. This Mm. came up in the Church of England General Synod many Mm. years ago. Mm. And I remember listening to a debate in which people were saying, we need a form of prayers for use after an abortion. And the prayers were in effect saying, oh God, we commit to you this little life which we have decided to terminate. And I thought at that point... You cannot say that. Right. You know, this yeah, is God's job, not ours. Um, but so so, so yeah. there, there are huge issues and very sensitive issues. And, and obviously on, yeah. a, on a
1: sort of grand social level, the mm-hmm. issues are complicated in as much mm-hmm. as it's not always as simple as simply if you are pro-life uh, simply repealing all abortion law, quite, because quite, obviously quite, quite. there there are even statistics to show that under more if you like yeah, lenient tricking, yes, yes. governments there were the abortion rates were lower than under more yeah, sort of yeah, you know yeah. so so it's 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 if your overall goal is to reduce the number of abortions yes, yes, it, it yes. may not be quite as simple as simply no, no. abolishing abortion uh, but absolutely and uh,
2: uh, yeah i i think the 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 perception from certainly the 60s and 70s the, the sexual revolution of the 60s where suddenly there was there were contraceptive pills so people thought that actually the old sexual rules didn't apply so there was uh, a huge upsurge in mm. unwanted pregnancies and then people said well, it's all right because we have an abortion as though that didn't matter now all that we know about psychology etc um, is, is that actually it does matter and that the the, mm. the, the mothers suffer long term as a result yeah. of this quite apart from the the, the unborn children themselves so um you hear where i'm coming from but i would want to be very sensitive and
1: pastorally aware of hard cases mm. um uh, i mean it's interesting that this person says this pastor claimed mm, that mm, being mm. pro-life oh, yes, was an yes. issue that would turn people off yes. from the church is it, that because it's become so politicized i would suspect i would suspect that yeah. that's
2: because of that that people would say oh you're one of those horrible right-wingers are right. you um yeah. uh, Uh, and that's where the issues need to be uncoupled and where they need to be set out sensitively and wisely and with great care um uh, but but i think you see part of that right-wing objection is that abortion was being used and still is being used as simply a a who cares form of contraception for people who've been sexually um, irresponsible and i think faced with that i want to say that is a kind of a second order bit of Mm irresponsibility to try to tidy up the first order Mm -hmm.
1: bit of Mm irresponsibility and that's not a good way to be another hot button issue um uh joey norris Mm -hmm. in temp is it arizona i never quite know how to pronounce that one um says in the united states and perhaps also the uk the idea of race and racism systemic or otherwise has become quite prevalent in recent discussions concerning social justice I'm curious about whether Paul's corpus indicates how Christians might or ought to think about social justice and diversity in the body of Christ, particularly in relation to the powers and principalities of the world, which can so easily become oppressive regimes, as it were, for certain groups of people and yet disproportionately favor others. To me, this seems like a dramatic twist to a proper biblical doctrine of creation. God, as we learn from the New Testament, shows no partiality. Might all this have to do with the lie of which Paul mentions in Ephesians 4.25? Hope I've made my questions clear and thanks again for the time and wonderful contribution. Um, Yeah, so there's some quite specific questions as it relates to to the way Paul talks about diversity, unity and diversity in in Mm -hmm. Christ and so on and the fact that in today's culture especially what sometimes come to be called identity politics Mm -hmm. and um, this idea of um, certainly... um, having to recognize the fact that many people would say their story uh has not been reflected in the mm, way people yeah. have understood scripture yeah. because of race and so on yeah. Yeah. um I, I mean yeah how do we do how do you deal with this and, and is is the way it's currently being talked about often in terms of race and racism um how do how do we kind of fit that into the way Paul speaks of diversity? Okay,
2: again, so we, in order to get back from where we are to the New Testament and then come back again, as it were, <laughs> we have to demystify some things. The issue of race in today's British or American societies is very much literally a black and white one. Mm. And in America, of course, that has the long history of American slavery and in which the British were complicit way mm. back when, etc. So nobody has their hands clean. But we see race very much in terms of us and them, of White or what we call white, actually it's pink and yellow and Mm. stuff like Mm. that, as the norm, and black of whatever sort as the other. And as long as you polarize like that, you have a problem of one particular shape. In the first century, it wasn't like that at all. In the first century Mediterranean world where Paul is going around, it's multicolored. There are people from North Africa, there are people from a bit further south, there are people from what we call the Middle East, there are people from up north in Scythia or up towards what we call Russia. People of all sorts and shapes and colors, and at no point in the New Testament does anyone mention skin pigmentation mm. as being of any interest at all, because it's a melting pot. Right. So, um, when then Paul says in Galatians, "There is neither Jew nor in, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, you're all one in Christ Jesus." This is not me as a white man saying you're all one, and by the way, that means you're all honorary whites. You know, right. I have that. I've had that said to me yes. that when I've preached unity. I, i've had um an african-american woman theologian say to me you do realize that when people like me hear people like you say that it sounds as though you're saying we run this club and you're very welcome in it right. and i was horribly patronizing and i just thought oh my goodness yeah. how do and 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 we have to realize we are here on the cusp of this great shift from what we loosely call modernity to what we loosely call post-modernity that modernity modern western modernity says it's all about being all part of one great thing economies of scale yeah. we're all part of this great movement and then postmodernity <laughs> says that big story is your big story and it has just squelched my little story mm. that's what's going on in Brexit mm. by the way mm. um uh, people like uh, workers in Sunderland where I near where, where I come from thinking this big European story has just ruined yeah. our little local story mm. um and and that is repeated all over the place so the real problem here uh is i mean justin welby the archbishop of canterbury said something in general synod not long ago uh, about the church being institutionally racist for far too long the danger with saying that and i know he agrees with me on this is that it sounds as though Uh, we now have learned because secular society has taught us that racism is bad and oh dear we in the church have been racist too and so sorry we're disobeying the the modern secular rule it's not that at all Mm. insofar as there is a secular vision of multiculturalism that's a christian vision from the very beginning Mm. that god is making a new humanity in which we're all a rich hugger mugger of every nation and tribe and tongue and that's what the church should have been modeling all along sadly the church in both east and west has not modeled it very well and has often collapsed back into ethnocentric churches into linguistic group churches into um, skin pigmentation color churches black and white etc without realizing that this is a destruction of the new testament gospel i Mm -hmm. mean i don't want to be too over the top about this but i really think it is which is why there has been great resistance in some quarters to what some of us have called the so-called new perspectives on paul Mm. which is to say that the point of justification by faith is that all who believe jew and gentile slave Mm. and free male and female are all part of the one family
1: i I, i've often had that sense that um we we we're very concerned, it more so than ever, it would appear in, in our modern age, about identity and people claiming mm, their mm, identity mm. and so on. And and Paul never, you know, the New Testament, doesn't deny the different identities people have, but they're yeah, all yeah. transcended by our identity in Christ. They are transcended
2: by the identity in Christ, but it's very interesting that then Paul wants men to understand what it means to be a man in Christ, uh, mm. women, ditto, Jews, what it means to be a Jew in Christ, Gentiles, what it means to be a Gentile in Christ, and that there is a sense in which at a second order mm. you are still those things but with the christ identity being the central one and the christ identity is neither um western
1: nor male only nor um <laughs> uh, i mean and just to kind of again this yeah. is very pertinent to the final question i wanted to throw in yes, here yes. which is thomas Yee, oh, yes, out yes. in austin texas says Dr. Wright, can you comment on critical theory and the social justice movement sweeping the world, especially college campuses? How is critical theory similar to and different from the biblical vision for social justice that you've explored? And obviously we've covered some of this just now, but I mean, for instance, what I quite often bump into frequently on social media and elsewhere is some people, um, theologians, Christians in other parts of the world saying, for too long, our understanding of the Bible has been dominated by a white patriarchal, um, yeah. Sort of yeah, Western yeah. view, and now we need to hear the voices of Black sure, theologians, sure. of female theologians, sure. of queer, yeah. lesbian, gay yeah. theologians, and so on. And and that, that that's the problem is that that uh, we've got to you know understand that every identity will. Right, have a right. different take on
2: this and part of the problem there is the different kinds of identities even in the ones you just mentioned yes. because there are some identities which are i would say absolutely given um which are where you come from and what your gender is and i know there's now mm. questions about fluidity there etc um i think paul would be emphatic about the goodness of god's creation and that the identities you have come as a result mm. of being part of that good creation and that that's not yours to to fiddle around with as it were um but then at the same time time um, that rich diversity in the early church was precisely uh, about jews who were on the margin suddenly discovering that their messiah was the lord of the world oh my goodness how did that happen and gentiles from all sorts and particularly slaves and women who had been nobodies discovering that they had real major roles to play and god was giving them gifts of leadership or speaking whatever it was and so right from the beginning it's about A transformation within a community where um, there is a loving acceptance and also an extraordinary vocation to grow up in precisely love of of welcoming one another that great thing at the end of Romans welcome one another therefore as God has welcomed you as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God and uh, that is the moment of the transcending of identities in a larger family in which there is an enrichment rather than a
1: loss mm. from all that has gone before yeah. i mean and just as we we close out i mean has used a, w- a couple of phrases here that mm-hmm. may not be very familiar to everyone critical theory, critical theory yeah. social justice movement which yes. has had different yes. sort of connotations well, well, both of them these. have And i mean yeah.
2: critical theory really goes back um nearly a century to mm. between the wars um uh, people like adorno and walter benjamin and so on who were poking and prodding and trying to say hang on um the great constructs of the enlightenment this big picture of all of reality that we got from kant or hegel or whoever um, uh, that is in danger of making it impossible precisely for other voices to be heard. How are we going to live with that? And then this has come through into sociology and come through into literary criticism. So you read Jane Austen's novels, for instance, in order to explore Uh, hang on what's going on with patriarchy in the late 18th 18th Mm. century in Mm. Britain what's going on with women's voices being heard Um, and so people are coming with perfectly appropriate questions they may not be the only questions Mm. to ask about Shakespeare or Jane Austen but that's where it's often emerged and the danger then is that sometimes the critical theory becomes the thing you're really studying Mm. in other words you're learning whether it's a politically correct or a politically incorrect Mm. ideology but you're learning an ideology and all the stuff that you ought to be studying is merely raw material for this ideology and then where's that ideology going Mm. and that's where as a christian i would want to say hang on If there is a a God-given vision in the New Testament of God's justice, of God's new creation, of God's transformation of reality in Christ and by the Spirit, yes, this means justice. Yes, it means justice now, but is not at least some of this critical theory a way of trying to get that justice,
1: but without paying attention to the God whose Mm. ultimate concern it is? Mm great stuff um, in depth stuff as well um, and uh, if you're interested in these kinds of issues we've, we've covered some of it in my unbelievable podcast as well uh, in recent uh, episodes you could look back over the past year or so um, but yeah we've, we've done a good old deep dive there on today's edition thank you very much Tom for, for answering those questions thank you and uh, yeah we look forward to uh, you coming back again uh, next time uh, as we tackle some other tricky theological questions but until then we'll say goodbye and thank you very much thank you thank you you